0: Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We're starting a new series today. And this series is based upon the prophecy found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, And verse 6. And I want to read it to you right now. And it simply says this Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 ESV For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The title of our new series is simply called, He Shall Be Called. The name of our series is, He Shall Be Called. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, and indeed the work of my hands would be holy and acceptable in Your sight, O God, that You would give us the spirit of wisdom and understanding to know You better, that You'd open the eyes of our heart, that we may receive Your Word, that we may be changed more and more into Your image. And we ask that today in Jesus' mighty Name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, Let me say this from the outset, in keeping with our title of our new series, that picking a name for a child can be a very stressful moment in one's life. I say stressful because there are rules when it comes to picking a name for an unborn child. I don't know if you're aware of that, but there are some rules and I want to let you in on some of those. Rule number one is simply this. You can never name a child after someone you previously dated. (laughs) Write this down, young people. It's going to help you in the long run. I mean, can you imagine that day that we found out when Kath was pregnant and we were having a little girl, which was a shock to me. I just figured we would have boys. I, I have no reason for saying that. I have no reason for thinking that. I just did. It's just one of those, if you ever had one of those thoughts, you just, no reason for thinking it. I just thought we were having boys. And so to be honest, I wasn't upset, but I was shocked that we were actually having a girl, that I would be responsible for a little girl. I never entertained that thought until I found out that my wife was pregnant with a little girl. But can you imagine what would have been even weirder would be that if I said to Kath, hey, now that we're having a girl, wouldn't it be fantastic if we named her Meredith? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Meredith was my grade four crush. I'm sure Kath would be saying, uh, why, why do you want to call our daughter Meredith after your year four crush. What's going on? What haven't you let go of? It would be weird, wouldn't it? So if you're thinking of picking a name, don't ever pick a name of someone you previously dated or had a crush on. That's rule number one. Another rule would be this. You can't name your child after that kid at school that was really annoying. You know that really annoying kid? I know some of you know because you are that kid. But anyway... But but for me, my first year of school was traumatic because of a guy by the name of Troy. Now, with all due respect to the Troys out there, I could never name my child Troy because he traumatised me (laughs) for the main reason that he could not determine the difference between his name and my name. And so, you know, the first thing you do when you're at school, you write your name on the book in big black letters on the front to distinguish, which is your book versus his book. But he could not tell the difference between Troy and Tony. And here I was, and I'm not the smartest kid out there, I know, but I had to every day give him an English lesson that this is my book, T-O-N-Y. And yours is Troy, T-R-O-Y. I know they both start with T, then they both end in Y, but they are (laughs) two different names. That was my whole first year of school and my book, I kid you not, my book had his handwriting, my handwriting, his handwriting, (laughs) my handwriting. And then I gave up, I just said, I'm using Troy's book. (laughs) And I am so traumatised by it, whenever I see a Troy, I can't call them Troy, I call them (laughs) T-Roy, just to give me a little bit of distance from that moment. Again, if you are a Troy here today, you're welcome, we love you. I just was never going to name my child after you. That's, that's all I'm trying to say. And we all have those moments in life because choosing a name can be stressful. You'd never name a child after that teacher you didn't like. Now I know you're a Christian, you say, I like everyone. Yeah, but there's that teacher, <laughs> there's that one teacher and you find out the first name, there's no way you could name your child after that particular teacher. And then of course, you have to think about first names and last names going together carefully. Because if you are a Mrs. Wright, you, you, you don't want to name your child Eileen. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the good old classic, Mrs. Green doesn't want to name her child Teresa. <laughs> you don't want to do that because it's, it, just, it just gets weird real quick. And for Daniel Price, who's in the congregation somewhere here today, Mr. Price, you know, if, as he gets married and has kids, if he has a little girl, you don't want to call her Lois because you don't want Lois Price. I mean, it's just, you just wouldn't want that. So this is just information. Just, I'm just helping you today. I just know I am. So it's stressful. It's difficult. And this affected me personally because some of the names I really liked, I couldn't have because of my last name. My last name is not a usual last name. You know, no points for saying that. Rainbow, it's like a real weird name. But there are some names that I really loved. And when I found out that we were having a little girl, I, I loved the name Summer. The trouble is I couldn't call her Summer because of Rainbow. Summer Rainbow just gets a little bit too hippie, don't you think? <laughs> when you're a pastor and you've got a child named Summer Rainbow, I think, hey, what kind of church is it? Like, what? I love the name Summer. I do, I just... Every time I see a summer, I oh, I love the name Summer. I wish we could have called our kids Summer, but we couldn't. We couldn't. And another name I love is Sky. But that gets even weirder. Sky Rainbow is even weirder. And then one name I liked as a boy, and this was my first choice of a boy's name, was Noah. Spelled N-O-A, I dropped the H, like special, Noah, kind of cool, Noah Rainbow. And then it gets weird and I think, man, my poor son having the name Noah Rainbow and he's a pastor's kid. I mean, that's just, he's going to get picked on every day at school. (laughs) Noah Rainbow, come here. Okay, bang. Just like, I could. So I had to forego three of my favourite names just because of our last name. It's stressful. It stressed me out. How many can relate to what I'm talking about? I say that in jest, although there's a little bit of truth, so take it for what it is. But all jokes aside, names have a great deal of meaning, uh, particularly when you look at biblical names. For Hebrew culture in the Bible, names took on great meaning, particularly in the Old Testament you think back to Adam, the very first man who ever walked the earth. He was given that name because the very name Adam means earth. He was the first man on the earth and his name was a reminder of that very fact. The very first woman ever placed on the planet was called Eve. And Eve simply means mother of all the living. These were not just any old names. These were significant names with significant meanings. Abraham was the father of many nations. Isaac means laughter and Asher means blessed and happy. Uh, my niece is named Ashari. You might say, where did that come from? Because many of you have never heard the name Ashari before. And the reason her name is Ashari is because her mum and dad like the name Asher. Asher means blessed and happy. And had they had a boy, he would have been called Asher. But they didn't have a boy, they had a girl. And they were happy about that. But they liked the name Asher so much. They said, how can we make it into a a female name? And so quite literally, this is no joking, they took Asher, put an eye on it, and we ended up with Ashari, which means blessed and happy, which was not true of her when she was a baby. (laughs) She was the most difficult, awkward baby that I've ever come across. All she did was cry. But thankfully, she's turned into a beautiful girl. And she's just amazing. See, the name of a person told you something about their character and something about their nature. Who remembers the old film back in the 90s, Dances with Wolves? You remember that film? And uh, that film was named after the main character in that film, who was Kevin Costner. And he was in the field one day playing with this little wolf who he called Two Socks because he had two white feet. Again, significant name for significant meaning. And he was playing and this Indian tribe were watching him and they called him Dancers with Wolves. Why? It's not very deep, because he was dancing with wolves. I mean, his name had meaning. Names are important. We wanted to name our child Mitchell. We wanted to name him Jacob. But someone said, do you know Jacob means deceiver? And again, I know we have Jacobs here. We love you. Keep on <laughs> deceiving. It's awesome. <laughs> but the moment we found that, it just kind of, I just, I just can't call him Jacob now. It just put me off the name Jacob. But again, for you Jacobs out there, God bless you. You'll do well in life. Uh, but, but we couldn't do that. And we ended up with Mitchell. And Mitchell means like God. I want a child that was like God. And he is, because he thinks he knows everything. I mean, he's he's so much like God. It just is what it is. And so over the next four weeks, we want to look at the four names given to this unborn Messiah. You see, this was a prophecy that was given some 700 years before the Messiah was even born. And it was prophesied into a season of turmoil and great fear amongst Israel. And this prophecy reveals something about the character and the nature of our Messiah to come. And not only does it reveal something about our character and nature of the Messiah to come, it reveals something about the character and nature of our Messiah in relation to our needs. It reveals something of who He is and also something that only He can do. And that is encouraging news, particularly at this Christmas time. And so I wanna look at, the fact today that he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. We're going to delve down into those two things today. Wonderful Counselor. Say after me, wonderful Wonderful Counselor. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The word wonderful is the Hebrew word Pele, just like the soccer player, Pele. And it means beyond understanding. It means too wonderful for words. You see, when Isaiah wrote this. He was writing to describe a Saviour that was yet to be born that was hard to put into words. In other words, Isaiah struggled with what we struggle with today. To try to describe that which is undescribable. And so he uses a word that declares that there is no word big enough or great enough, or awesome enough to tell us who He really is. That's what this one word wonderful means. It means beyond wonderful. It means beyond our wildest imagination or comprehension. It's two wonderful words. It was something that is beyond human capability. It is something astonishing. It is an act of God. In other words, Isaiah was saying, this child that is to be born is no ordinary child. He is quite literally out of this world. He's like no other child that is ever to be born. He is truly, truly wonderful. He's magnificent. He's glorious. He's powerful. He's strong. He's awesome. And if what I'm saying is true today, And it is. Here's my question for us as a church. Why do we get so bored? Why are we so dull when it comes to this wonderful, amazing, awesome God? Where does this dullness creep in? Where does this boredom come from? Why are we so quick to give up and to give in on this wonderful, magnificent, amazing God called the Messiah, the Christ? Can I suggest the answer could be because we accept the substitutes for His wonder. Warren Risby says this, when we exist on artificial stimulants, we gradually lose the ability to recognise the real joy. When you live on the false, you can't appreciate the real thing. Can I just take us all back to 2001 just for a moment? Because in 2001, something happened that changed the world. It was when those aeroplanes went into the World Trade Center. Many of you are old enough to remember seeing that on the television. And if you were anything like me, your reaction was this, wow, it just doesn't seem real. It just doesn't look real. And I remember saying that to myself over and over again as I was watching it on television, plane going into the building, plane going into the building. It doesn't look real. It looks fake. It doesn't look real. And I felt God minister to my spirit in that moment. And I felt God just arrest me and say, when have you ever seen a plane go into a building before? I thought, well, well, I haven't. With the exception of Hollywood. And I felt there was the God drop. I'd been conditioned by the fake in film after film after film. I'd been conditioned by what green screen effects made it look like. And so when I saw the real thing, it didn't look real anymore. Why? Because I've been conditioned by the false. And many of us in life get conditioned by the false that we don't recognise the real when it's there. And Jesus is trying to get our attention, I believe, through this message this morning about what is truly real and what is truly important. And as we come into this Christmas season and this Christmas period, there's gonna be a lot of fake. There's gonna be a lot of artificial. There's gonna be a lot of stimulants out there and it's gonna detract and deteriorate and diminish the wonder of what is truly wonderful and we're going to go to the pageants and we're going to go to fireworks. Oh, it's wonderful. And I want to tell you, as wonderful as those moments are, they don't compare to the true wonder and majesty and greatness of our God. Don't allow the artificial to rob you of what is truly real. Jesus alone is truly wonderful. And can I just say, there's nothing wrong with pageants. There's nothing wrong with fireworks. There's nothing wrong with embracing the Christmas festive season, but just don't let it diminish the true wonder of what is truly wonderful and most important. But let's hold our line. You see, the boredom is not out there. The boredom is in here. It's not an external problem, it's an internal problem. It's not a physical problem, it's a spiritual problem. I say this all the time, if church is boring, that's on you because if we've lost the wonder, it will become boring. But if you keep the wonder alive, it doesn't matter what song you're singing. It doesn't matter what message you're listening to. It doesn't matter what day it is. I'm telling you, when you live with a wonder inside of you, every day is wonderful. And I thank God that in my years of ministry, I truly have not lost the wonder of who He is. And when you live in the wonder of who He is, it offsets all the tragedy and all the turmoil and all the heartache and all the pain and all the betrayal and all the rejection and all those things that we all face. But when you live with the true wonder of who He is, it offsets all of those things. Church, do not lose your wonder. When you no longer see the wonder of Jesus as believers, we substitute the wonder of Him with other things. Hillsong put an album out this year, Hillsong United, called Wonder. And the number one album on that song is called Wonder. And the first line in that song is this, have you ever seen the wonder? It's a question. It goes on to say, in the glimmer of first light, as your eyes begin to open, it's talking about just waking up. It's not talking about anything massive. It's not talking about anything great. It's just talking about you lying in bed and just waking up. And have you ever seen the wonder, the glimmer of first light as our eyes just begin to open up? That that moment, every one of us experienced that this morning. At the blindness, as our eyes begin to open and the blindness of the light. And if you have so, sing. Oh, come on. If you have so, sing. Here's the trouble, we've all seen it, but we didn't see the wonder in it. We just got up and we just saw the sleep in our eye. We saw the wrinkle on our brow. Instead of saying, oh my gosh, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm healthy. I've got an opportunity to live another day and make it count for Christ. Have you ever seen the wonder? If you have, then sing. Oh my goodness. You see, all of us, experience the same thing this morning, that glimmer of first light. As our eyes began to open, every one of us this morning experienced that. Unless of course, you're just sleepwalking. Just push the person next to you, just shove them, make sure they're awake. Church, never lose, never, ever, ever, ever lose the wonder of who He is. And the wonder of what he's done. I'm so grateful for Jesus. I thank God for the many great experiences I have had in leading this church. But for all of those great experiences, there's a lot of things that can offset those great experiences. They're called bad experiences. But the thing that's kept me going is this wonder of who he is. I said a long time ago, and I made a commitment to myself, I don't want to grow up in the sense I don't want to lose my childlike faith. I love kids. We went to the movies with our children or our family, and and BJ was with us, and we saw a film, and what I loved about the film more than anything was just seeing BJ laughing. BJ, when she goes to the movies, she gets engrossed in the film. And, and she just, she embraces the whole film and uh, she just gets into it. And she does not care who's in the auditorium. She doesn't care. She just laughs and laughs or talks to it or she, she's just there. She's like in the film. And this particular film we saw was, was quite a, a funny film. And to see her laughing and laughing and laughing. I mean, I was I was laughing. But she, she saw things like, she was just laughing at a whole nother level. And it just did my heart good. I said, God, I want that. Yeah. I don't want to grow up and get old and get miserable and get bitter and get cynical. And I thought, what is it about my daughter? She was singing, this is the wonder of life. Just excited about life. And I want to say to all the adults in this room, don't lose that childlike wonder because it's what's going to keep you through the darkest moments in your life. Amen. And as good as all of that is, This Messiah is not just wonderful, but He's also counsellor. You see, as wonderful, it deals with the dullness and the boredom of life. But as counsellor, it deals with the decisions of life. One deals with the dullness, the other deals with the decisions in life. The word counsellor is a Hebrew word, yoaz, and it means to advise or to consult or to guide. When you think of a counsellor, you think of someone who is wise someone who has great wisdom. And this has never been truer of Jesus. He is the sum total of all knowledge. He's a counsellor. And not only does He listen to us, but He takes it further. You see, as counsellor, He does a few things. And I want to highlight them this morning very quickly. Number one, He cares about what you're going through. As, as our counsellor, as our wonderful counsellor, He cares what you are going through. And every one of us right now is going through something. We are facing something in life. And if you're not right now, praise God, but you will into the future. And the good news is we have a counsellor, one who is there for you and cares about what you are going through. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, Be humble in the presence of God's mighty power and He will honour you when the time comes. Why? For God cares for you. He cares for you. And because He cares for you, turn your worries over to Him. See, Jesus not only cares for you, but He cares about every aspect of your life. Everything that you are, He cares about. Sometimes when he's like, got this problem, he cares about that problem. But the good news is he cares more than just that problem you're going through. That fear you're facing. He cares about that fear that you are facing. But he cares about every part of your being. He cares about your character. And so he doesn't want to waste a moment. So not only does he care for you, but he wants to maximise what it is you're going through because he cares about every aspect of you. And so he wants to care for you through your fear. But while he's caring through, through your fear, he's working on your character. Why? Because he cares about your character. And he wants to work on your marriage while you're going through that fear because he cares about your marriage. And while you're dealing with all of that, he actually cares about your children and your family. And so he wants to help you with that. He cares about every area your spiritual growth, your emotional well being, your pain and your suffering, your problems. He cares about you. Turn to the person next to you and say he cares about you. Yeah. He really does. He cares about you. Not only does he care about you, but he identifies with what you're going through. He not only cares about what you're going through, but he can identify it. Uh, identify with it. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, Jesus has been through it. He's not a high priest that can't identify. He's not that person who can't identify what you're going through. Jesus said to his disciples, When you are ridiculed and mocked and hated because of your faith, remember this, they hated me first. That's what Jesus did. He went first. And leadership, in its purest, simplest form, is that we go first. When it comes to being the man of the home, the head of the home, there's contention around that because of women's lib, et cetera, et cetera. But being the leader of the home, being the head of the home, is just more responsibility. It means you go first, men. It means like Jesus, you forgive first. Jesus hung on the cross and He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So if you wanna be the head of the home, It's not a chauvinistic position. It's a humble position where we go first and we say, I forgive you. We say, will you forgive me? We apologise. We own our mistakes. That's what leadership is. And who taught us that? Jesus, because He did it first. He went first. He taught us that. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, He has been there and He's done that. He's experienced everything in life as we have, so he understands our pain. He understands our hurt, and here's the coolest thing: not only can he identify, but he never sinned. And that's where we come back to this word, "wonderful." He, he's like nothing the world has ever seen before. He's like nothing any word can put down on paper. He's beyond all of that because he's our leader. And the Bible goes on to say, therefore, as a result of this, we can approach the throne of grace with great confidence and receive mercy and grace and we can find help in our time of need. Isn't that fantastic to know? And my last point this morning, number three, as the band comes and joins me, that'd be great. He can not only identify and not only knows and cares what you're going through, but number three, he can help you with what you're going through. It's one thing just to identify, but to be able to help is a whole other level. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, it says, For because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. See, He not only understands, but He can also help. See, Jesus was unlike all the other religious leaders of the day. The thing they noticed about the religious leaders and Jesus, and the difference was this, that Jesus spoke with authority and power. In other words, He didn't have just great wisdom. Some of the religious people had great wisdom, but Jesus had this power that went with what He said. In other words, somehow He was able to back up what He said. He didn't just say something, He actually lived it. He didn't just say something, He modelled it. He didn't just say something, He fleshed it out. God so loved the world that He sent His Son. And in John chapter one, it says this, and the Word became flesh. He fleshed out what the Father's love looked like. He showed the world what forgiveness looked like. He showed the world what standing your ground looks like. When you feel like running, we have an example in Jesus of what to do. Because when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, standing there, He said this, if there is another way, If there's any way possible, Father, to to get out of this moment right here, right now, if there's another way, let it be. That's Jesus saying, I want out. I've had enough. I don't want to do this. This is not comfortable. But then there was this little comma. He says, yes, but not my will. What was Jesus doing? He was teaching us in word and action of what you do when you feel like running. You'd reduce yourself and surrender yourself to the will of the Father and do what He said, not what you feel. Cass shared brilliantly last week about thanksgiving. And she said, it's called thanksgiving for a reason, not thanks feeling. We don't give thanks based on how we feel. We give thanks because it's something we should do. It's a choice, it's a decision. And Jesus modelled what it is, which causes us, to have a great hope. Because not only do we have one we can listen to, we have one we can follow. I love that. And just as He was able to be strong and endure, He gives us strength to stand and endure. Oh, He indeed is a wonderful counsellor. And so we have a response to this counsel. You can go to the best counsellor in Adelaide. And if that's not good enough for you, find the best counsellor in Australia. And I would probably recommend Dr. Ray Andrews as one of those great counsellors. But you know what? Unless we respond to the great counsel, it's never going to help you. And so as good as this news is today, unless we respond in a certain way, and I've got three things. Firstly, we need to respond by being honest. We have to get honest. Where are you at? We grew up in a dispensation as a teenager in the church where you weren't allowed to admit that you had a cold because that was, you know, that was giving in to the devil, having a negative confession, and we had our scriptures for that. But the trouble is, there was a lot of people that talked like they had a cold, and it just got ridiculous because we said, oh, "Have you got a cold?" "No, no I don't have a cold." You're "Like really?" So you just talk like that normally. Uh, no, no. So what is it that's going on? Uh, nothing, i just praise the Jesus. I'm the head and uh, not the tail. Like, what? we just, we just got to get real. And being real starts with being honest. God did not give me a spirit of fear. That doesn't, mean you don't, that doesn't mean you don't have a spirit of fear. It doesn't mean you're not afraid. It just means God didn't give it to you. No, I'm not afraid. God didn't give me this fear. No, I'm terrified. Just God didn't give it to me. You've got to find out the source of that fear. And the way you find out the source of that fear is just getting real with the fact you have fear first. You don't say, no, I'm not afraid because I'm a Christian. I know I shouldn't be afraid. No, no, Christians get real. You've got to get honest. Secondly, you've got to be humble. This is another level. Once you've been honest, then you've got to humble yourself. And humble yourself is listening to advice given. Listen to advice given. You know, if you're struggling with your health and you happen to like to drink and got a taste for alcohol, and your doctor says, Hey, look, you're gonna to have to give up the alcohol. You've got a problem. You need to listen to that advice. You're gonna say, What would you know? Well, they know a lot. You've got to listen. There comes a time you have to listen to someone other than yourself, other than your friends. You've got to listen to great counsel. And then, thirdly, you've got to be obedient. Until you put into practice what the counselor says, you'll never, ever, 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 ever experience any change in your life. He's a wonderful counselor. And that's why he can be trusted. So anything he's asking me to change in my life, I can trust him because he's wonderful. Yeah, so true. Yeah. And he's just got something good for me off the back end of it. And so our response should be, be honest, be humble, and be obedient. Why? Because he loves you as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you as you are. I, I watch mums, it never ceases to amaze me how much love a mother has for a baby. And, and, and just the love screams at me that they love the child as that child is. But I know in the heart of every mother, as much as they love that child as it is, they love it too much to leave it as it is. Yeah. And so eventually, toilet training and getting rid of the dummy and dressing yourself, all those things are going to come part of the parcel in seeing development and growth in that child. Mums, am I right? Yeah. But you didn't do that because you hated your child, did you? No, you love your child as they are, as you are. But you know what? I don't want you to be 12 years old sucking a dummy. Yeah. I certainly don't want you to be 15 and in a diaper. I, I, but I thought you loved them as they are. I do. But I, I love them too much to leave them as they are. Yeah. God loves you as you are, right here, right now. But He loves you too much to leave you and me where we are. We all have a next step to take. And I would say, who better to take that next step with than this wonderful counsellor? Ross Lester, who's a good friend of Craig Clark, who's ministered here many times before. He's a man who's written a devotional going through the Psalms and Kath and I and our family are going through the Psalms with... Ross Lester and he's been an incredible blessing to us and I just read this the other day he said I can honestly say I am most joyful when I'm most trusting I am most peaceful when I am most submissive have you ever thought about that? why is it we lose our peace? because most of the time we're just fighting God I'm most peaceful when I'm most submissive and lastly I am most satisfied when I'm most servant hearted and a beautiful thought. You stand with me this morning. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.